I want to add one to this, if you will. We're about to start a series, and you've heard this moment, and isn't that a wonderful promise and a hope that you can cast your fears and your anxieties onto God? Is it that easy? No. Not often. There's a scripture that we often come to in times of great hurt or suffering, uh, and you'll probably recognize it, I would guess. And so I'm just going to start reading it, just this first portion, um, and uh, I imagine you'll know it. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. This is Psalm 23, the word of God for the people of God. God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you. And as we go forth from this space, let us, in the nature of this psalm, know what it is to celebrate all the glory that you have around us, and yet in the midst of that, to still recognize that there is a valley with a dark, dark evil. And sometimes that is the place we are. But God, you did not keep us there. So we pray that we can learn from this space so that we can help others. In your holy name we pray, amen. I imagine you know this scripture. Have you heard it before? Psalm 23, a number of times. And as you laugh about that, I know that a lot of the places that you've heard this sermon are funerals, right? Not often happy places. They're laden with a lot of emotions. Uh, certainly, are there things to celebrate at the loss of a life, not the loss itself, but for all the love that they have shared. You, you know those joyous memories that come in those places where you are remembering the life, the times that you shared with that person. And when you read this scripture on that day, I think many of you have been to at least one funeral where that scripture has been read, right? Psalm 23, uh, maybe even recited, maybe even you have recited it. When you get to that verse 4, how quickly do you read it? Even though I walk through the darkest valley, how quickly do you get by that little bit to move on to the next place where God is preparing a table and blessing you with over, overflowing cup? I, I know that that's what our want is, but I want to spend a little bit more time right there, if you will because we're going to begin a new series, and for the next couple of weeks, I want to stop right there at, the next, at that verse 4, in that valley of the shadow of death. Now, I don't want to beladen you with too much, not anything more than you can handle. There are some promises that I want to give in just a moment, but I want to spend a little time focusing on that, because I think oftentimes when we read that scripture, uh, sometimes, especially if we've read it over and over again, if we've recited it, if we have it committed to memory, I heard some of you uh, reciting along with the KJV version, the king, yeah, you were, you were there ready with me, yeah. I'm sorry, I chose a different one. <laughs> 
Uh, but as you're going through that scripture, you're so used to it, I, I imagine at this point it's almost like you're getting on a train and this train is taking you through a journey in this psalm text. In Psalm 23, you're going along and looking out the window at the, the beautiful and the wonderful places where uh, God is allowing you to lie on the side of the cool water and in the, the grass that's just tickling your sides. And then you move on to the uh, table that's filled with food and the house of the Lord and all those places. And at some point, you know, along that journey, you get to that dark valley and maybe the window for you is so dark you can't see out. Or maybe you can see odd shapes in there it's it's just so peculiar you really don't want to stop and look you tell the train driver move a little faster at this point I don't want to stay here I don't want to look at this I know the good stuff that's coming let's move on right past that am I right uh, maybe at this point you've recited that so often that you don't even think about that verse 4 right there that moment that quick moment where David King David the psalmist at this point is reflecting on the pain and the anguish and the suffering and yet, at the same time, even though you want to move quickly through that, I, I wonder, I wonder if sometimes that section right there, that one verse is one of the more familiar ones, one of the more familiar places of life, not necessarily because you are there often, but because when you are there in those moments of depression, of suffering, of hurt, of anxiety, of stress, those are some of the most potent, most powerful moments of your life. Uh, they grip you with a strong hold and they hold you really tightly. That's maybe not the place you want to be, and yet it's the place that leaves often the longest standing memory and relationship with that one little verse there. I know why you don't want to stay there. I know it. But if we can hang on there for just a little bit, just for the next four weeks, will you? We won't stay there too long. We won't um, stay there and without seeing the hope at the end and the promise at the end, I promise, so bear with me. But I want to stay there for just a moment because I, I want to, to recognize a few things. Number one, mental health, emotional health is real. It's a real thing that people go through, that people struggle with, that people are hurting with currently, maybe even in this room. And mental health, emotional health, is something that the biblical characters, those stories that we grew up with, they go through these same things. Right there in the midst of Scripture, in those stories, you can see it. I'm going to point to a few of them. Mental and emotional health is a part of the biblical narrative. Number three, and I can't stress this enough, God cares about your mental health, about your emotional well-being. God cares. One more point. And I'm going to save this one to the end, the last point. I'm going to save it to the end. The purpose for this next four weeks I want to spend with you, as we hear from Matthew Sleeth, as we hear from uh, Ray might step in and preach one of these as well here in Aldersgate, as we hear these different uh, sermons and, and texts read, is that we spend some time and we get to the end where we hopefully are able to say content content. Uh, that's these funny words up here. I know they're spelled exactly the same, but if you pronounce them a little bit differently, they become something kind of meaningful, don't they? Content content. Say it with me. Content content. 
I would love for this to be a little bit of a mantra for us over the next four weeks, if you will. So over the next four weeks, if you get to that moment in your life where things are just not working out, where things are kind of falling apart, even if it's in a small way, even if it's in a big way, to take a moment and breathe in and then release it and say, content, content. Can you say it one more time? Content, content. What does that mean? My hope is, my prayer is, is that after some time, and maybe not at the end of the four weeks, maybe a year from now, maybe more time as you spend with this, but you'll be able to say, I am content with the content of my life. I am content with the content of my life. Content content, let that be your mantra for the next little while, will you? And as we spend time with scripture, I want to point to some places where some other people were trying as, as hard as they could with their whole being, with their whole self to say content content, to be content with the content of their life. And this may take a little bit of a practice for you for something else. For these scripture stories that you hear, I'm going to share some of them and maybe I'll share a little bit differently than what you've heard before. And this might be a practice for you to say, I am content with the content of the Bible. <laughs> Because being content with the content of the Bible, the whole Bible, means facing the realities that are present there. It means facing the truths that are there present in front of us. Even in the stories that are filled with hope, there are still moments of depression and despair amongst them. And so I want to share a few, just so we know that it is real, that it is there, and that God cares. Uh, because not only in this place in Psalm 23, Psalm 23 has a single verse dedicated to that place of darkness, that place of hardship in this David's life. Yes, King David, the same King David who in another place in scripture was dancing joyfully before the Lord. He was exuberant, ecstatic. You thought King David, and he's a king, so he must have everything that he needs. What despair could he fall into? And yet still, in this moment in Psalm 23 and many other psalms, we find King David lamenting, crying out in pain and suffering about the darkness that's going on in his life. In fact, Psalm, the whole book, is consisting of 150 psalms, 150 different ones. A large percentage of those, the majority of them, are psalms of lament, of anguish, of cries of pain and suffering from different characters who have written these psalms. It's real and present there. Now, there are some other Old Testament scripture stories that you may know, some characters that you probably have heard of and you don't realize how much despair is going on in their lives. Rachel, uh, the mother of Jacob and Benjamin, uh, she, at one point in her time, she is crying out to her husband and to her God in that moment. She is uh, in deep anguish because there is nothing fruitful from her life, it seems. Early on in her life, there were no children that she was able to bear. She thought she was barren. And at one point, she cries out to God and to her husband. She says, give me children or give me death. That's what she says. Rachel, the, and then another character, Rebecca. Rebecca is the wife of Isaac. Uh, she has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Do you remember those two? Uh, Jacob and Esau, they're twins, but they bicker. Uh, they're fighting after this uh, blessing from Isaac, their father, that they uh, would get when they come of age. And, and they bicker so much that one of them has to run away from home because the other one is trying to kill him. And, and then there's turmoil about mixing with another family. And, and Rebecca, in the midst of all of her pain and suffering of her family that is broken to pieces and she feels as though she is a part of it because she did in many places play a hand in this turmoil she cries out in anguish and in pain 
and in suffering of our own depression and anxiety in these moments. Uh, we find other characters, some of the big characters like Elijah and Jeremiah. Have you heard those? They're some of the major prophets, big names. And while we think of them today, you think Jeremiah, you might think Elijah, and you think, well, they had everything that they needed. They're these major prophets of Old Testament. But no, as they're going in and out of towns, traveling from different places, giving the word of God to the people that are there, in many places they have stones that are thrown at them. There's threats of, to their life almost every place that they go to. People kick them out of town often, over and over again. They are wandering through the wilderness with sometimes nothing to eat for days, not fasting by choice, but fasting because there's nothing in front of them except the crows that are above mocking them, saying, you're about to die and I'm about to get a meal. Uh, this Elijah and Jeremiah, these grand prophets, they find these moments of darkness in their life. Uh, we move on and we find even Moses, Moses, who is leading the Israelites out of Egypt and into the wilderness and onto the promised land, they have that vision of where they are going, the grand promise that God is giving, and yet over and over again, Moses finds these places of anguish, of suffering, saying, God, why did you choose me? It could have been anyone else. It should have been anyone else. Why me, God? And there might be a little bit of a trickle-down effect there because not only Moses, but pretty much the entire Israelite camp as they're going through the wilderness, they say over and over again, God, Moses, it would have been better for us to just die as slaves in Egypt than to be out here suffering and hungering and thirst. Why did you bring us out here? Send us back. The Israelites, over and over again, an entire group of people going through this anguish and this pain, there's some New Testament stories as well. And I love the New Testament because in some of those places it gets a little allegorical. It gets a little uh, metaphorical. It gives you some descriptions of what it might be like because they didn't have words like depression and anxiety and stress. And so the best they could do is describe it in poetic ways. And, and there's one in particular that I think you might know. It's a, a man who was living his life in an upright manner as best he knew how to. And as he's walking and, and doing what he's supposed to be doing, so he thinks, he's out persecuting others. There's this group of people that has been causing a muck, and so he's going out trying to get them back in order, and he arrests some of them, he commits some of them to, uh, to death, and, and he goes around to different places and convicts people of this, and at one point it says God strikes him blind with a light as he is going down a road, strikes him blind, and for several days he can't see, scales are covering his eyes, and, and then after a moment where he realizes the pain that he has caused and has a, a moment of turning around completely uh, turning his life around into a different direction, the scales fall off and he can see. I know as I've described that, you're thinking, Paul. Yes, Saul, in this moment, I, I want you to see, I want you to imagine, I want you to, to feel that this man, Saul, who had been living persecuting other people, committing them to prison and to death, and he gets to this moment where he can't fathom doing that again on the road to another place to start that mission over again he's blind it says i don't know about you but if i was on that path i might be struck blind too in depression or despair to realize that my whole life my whole being my whole work is around persecuting other people other people who claim the same god that i do just in a different form not that moment 
Paul, I can't see any other way. And not to take away from the miracle of that moment, certainly that is there and possible, and yet also the reality that Paul would set into this deep depression where he can't see anymore. His body doesn't work the way it used to because it doesn't want to function the way that it's been and has to go through this time of suffering in order to come out on the other side. Then we can't forget Jesus. Jesus who shows up in the Gospels over and over again, healing what we read as demons. Now, again, not to take away from the fantastical nature of those stories, not to take away from the miracles of actually casting out demons, not to take away from that at all, and yet to understand that part of that certainly is some truth about mental health, where people were suffering with schizophrenia and delusions of grandeur and uh, multiple personalities. All of these different things show up in Scripture, and they don't have words for them. They only have descriptions. They only have an understanding that something has captured them and held them uh, apart from being any human that anyone else could recognize. And yet Jesus comes in and offers a healing, a healing to where all the rest of the people around seem to accept and allow them back into society. There's, there's something there. So I point to all of these things, and I told you I didn't want to beladen you with so much, and yet here it all is. Uh, so quickly, for just a moment, will you with me take a deep breath? Release and say, content, 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 content. Content to be content, to, to content to be, to be content with the content of the scripture stories that are here present among us all throughout from Genesis all the way through to the end. We see these moments where depression and anxiety and stress are overwhelming. They are all over the place. You can't escape them. They are all around. They are real. They are real in the Bible stories that we read, in the biblical scriptures that we open up to. And so to be content with the content of scripture is to recognize that reality, to breathe in the presence of that and to breathe out the reality. And I'll claim this one for you. This is the third point that I wanted you to have, and I hope that you will hold it. But if you don't today, that's okay. As we spend time with this, let me just claim the truth of it, that God cares about mental and emotional health, and God cares about your mental and emotional health. I say that by the very presence of those stories being in Scripture. I say that by the very acts of Jesus and many around that try to support and be a part of the members of those people that we read. I, I say that because I know it's true that God loves you and cares for you for your whole self, not just your physical presence, not just your beings out in the world, uh, but your mental and your emotional presence as well for your innermost self that no one else seems to understand but you, and yet God is there present, there with you, walking alongside whatever struggles is going on in that place, that God cares about you and your mental and emotional health, and that God wants you to be able to say, content, content. I am content with the content of my life. But the fourth point, the last thing that I want to share, this is just a little bit, this is just a small picture, this is just a micro view of what it looks like to be for the good. And this is our, our goal, this is our hope for the next several weeks is that we are here for the good and what we are doing. And I'll tell you that it is as simple and yet as profound 
as simply being in the presence of one another. To being in this space, to being with your families, to being around friends that you trust and that you know care for you, to being with others, to being held together, that is, it is, it is, it is not a small thing, but a profound thing in this work to being a part of good in mental and emotional health in the world. I mean that. So while you think that's a little bit of an easy answer, maybe so. But maybe it's just easy enough that all of you can do it. Maybe it's just easy enough that all of you can be a part of it. And whether you are struggling yourself to find others, to, to muster up that strength and that courage, and that is not an easy, easy thing, to be around people that you need in your life, or for you, if you are in a good place right now, to reach out to those that you know are hurting today, to call them, to text them, to maybe visit them as soon as you can, and to say, hey, I'm with you. I would love to hang out sometime. Can we go get coffee? To be in community. It is not a small thing. So, I will leave that as a challenge for you I will leave that as a thought practice for you that in all these places in the reality of scripture that is present with us, there is a multitude of people that are around. There is not an aloneness that I hope that you find in your life, but there are people in scripture that have gone through this. There is God that is walking with you. There are people in this room that would love to walk alongside you in whatever is going on.